So perhaps um, could we get um, Brother Edmund? Do you have the or somebody's got the Bible open there? Do you wonder, or do you just want to follow me? I'm not going to be doing. Okay. Just one second. I know. Okay. Sorry, I'm having problems with my computer here. It's not re re reacting properly. So somebody else has got their phone on or something going on in the background. Um, does anyone have a Bible open, Brother uh, Eric? Or Sorry, I've, had, I've had some problems with my computer here. You can hear me now? Can you hear me now, uh, Edmund? Can anyone hear me? Hello? Can you hear me? Can anyone hear me? Okay, because I wasn't, uh, maybe I had my volume down. Okay, sorry about that. I had some difficulties there. Does anyone have a Bible open, uh, Brother Eric? Do you have one? Can you open up to the Gospel according to John, chapter 18? And we're going to read from verse 33 to 38 for now. So John chapter 18, verse 33 to 38. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it to thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not far from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born. And for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews, and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. I'd like to stop reading there. And um, basically focus on the very last question that Pilate had, and that is, what is truth? Now, I think it's been mentioned already a few times during our phase of life in our homes, shut into our houses in this pandemic, that during this time, there's quite a lot of falsehood, quite a lot of untruths being spread throughout this world, especially on the, on the internet. There are opportunists that are waiting to take advantage of the situation and deceive many into buying this, buying that, ascribing to this, ascribing to that. There are a lot of also what we would call conspiracy theories going around this world as to what is happening and why it's happening. While some of them may have some truth to them, but what is very um, noticeable and evident, uh, especially in this last week uh, to my family, I got a call from my sister 
in Windsor saying, Doug, I got this a voice message. Someone's threatening to expose everything on my computer and that, uh, you know, I visited these sites and so forth unless I deposit so much money in Bitcoin in this whatever, right? And I, immediately I said, you know what? I had the same experience maybe two years ago. And when when I first saw that, I um, my stomach dropped. I thought because they had a password or, or part of a password. I don't know how they got it. Some of you computer types would know maybe how they may pass some of the email traffic that goes over the cyberspace. Um, but I immediately reassured her it's just a big scam. They're trying to uh, prey on the vulnerable. Just like this disease is preying on the vulnerable, and they're trying to extort money through lies and threats. This past week, twice I had uh, someone call a recorded message. There, there's the giveaway that you know my credit card has been violated. Someone spent so many hundred dollars here at this place. They're very specific, eBay and this place, and. There are so much lies going on in this world. Um, I've got to go back to last week. Last week I made a statement that C.S. Lewis made this quote. And right after I said that, I went straight to the Internet and, and I, I wanted to see some somebody. Can you put yourself on mute, please? Somebody. Uh, I went straight to the internet and to, to, to search out this quote, and sure enough, Snopes comes up with a quote saying there's an internet um, statement about C.S. Lewis saying that the, they've closed down the schools and the businesses and places of worship, and uh, we have the evidence for it. Now, this is not the first time this has happened. There's a lot of... Uh, perhaps quote unquote well meaning Christians that grab things like this and post it in order to support our views on Christianity, on the world, on God. But what I've learned to, to, to do is if I do find a quote anymore on, on, on the internet that I would say, according to this source, this was said, it may or may not be true. There are things that are far more believable than others. But what I'm trying to bring out is this world is full of deceit, full of lies and full of untruths. I remember doing a forum once on lies. And there's a difference between a lie and an untruth. A lie is an intentional statement to deceive. An untruth may be something that is not true that is passed on or passed on in ignorance, as I did last week. And I think we all do this. We all pass on information that is not verified, is not validated. And that's not my main focus, although it's an important aspect of Christianity, of, of believings, of a believer's life that we don't gossip, that we don't pass on information that is not validated, especially if it's very sensitive, especially if it could harm somebody or hurt somebody. But this whole question of truth is one of the most important questions we can ask ourselves. What is truth? First of all, to the unconverted, and then to ourselves, what is truth? What am I doing that is true? What am I doing that is not true? And why is it important? So I want to go back to truth and how people perceive truth throughout history. And because our Bible is in Greek, um, at least it was written, the New Testament was written in Greek, and then the Septuagint was translated from the Hebrew to the Greek. Um, a lot of the way people perceive truth comes from Greek thinking and and maybe some of the words wording that they use um, from the concordance Strong's concordance uh, the word in Greek is aletheia and it means true verity truth and their pers 
their view of truth is an accurate perspective on reality. What, how do we think and what do we state or believe on what reality is as we understand it? The Romans have a word veritas from which we get verity. And this was a more of a factual representation of events. So an example of that would be 2 plus 2 equals 4. If we define 2 as 1, 2, 2 fingers, and 2 more fingers, well, a finger and a thumb, 2, two digits, and 2 more, we say they're 4, then if we say 2 plus 2 equals 4, then we are speaking the truth as we have defined it. To the Jew, the word was emeth, and it actually, they believed and they corresponded truth to God's word and his faithfulness. So truth corresponded to God's word and his faithfulness. They took God's word as being true. That's their source of truth. And this, they believed that he was faithful to that word, and that's how they viewed truth. Christians were no different. They viewed truth as being embodied in the life, death, and the teachings of Jesus Christ. That's where truth comes from. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if you follow me, and he told them to follow him, the Apostle Paul says, be ye followers me as I am a follower of Christ, because Christ is true. Even Webster's Dictionary has the statement that says, agreement between fact and reality. And at one state, stage in our history, that, that was pretty close to what we were saying about the Greeks and, and, and the Christians, what is reality as far as the Christians are concerned, that God is true. But things have changed. Now things have changed. Now, this world believes that truth is either non-existent or that truth is relative. It all depends on who views it. For example, there are um, cultures that create a truth. And if you go to Papua New Guinea, where Brother Nick um, Schlatter was for 40 years, when he came, there was still cannibalism. In their culture, it was okay to eat another human being. It was cultural. Um, in society, we have society, uh, societal truths and these are prescriptive truths. For example, today the government says uh, it's legitimate and acceptable to remove inconveniences in your life, such as unwanted children through abortion. Or it's a legitimate family to have two husbands. One you can call father, one you can call mother, whatever. And same-sex marriages are legitimate and it's prescribed. And if you go against it, you could be in big trouble with the law. And the third category is what we've probably heard many times. I had a forum on this at camp uh, many years ago. Is uh, postmodern truth. And that is, I create truth. I am the source of truth. And whatever is my truth is valid. You have your truth, I have my truth. It's come to the point now that someone, and it's, and it's happened, it's been contested, that pedophilia is just the way I view things. And this is how heinous it's become. I remember a long time ago, Brother Edmund uh, had a project called the Truth Project, which he shared with the youth. And um, the presenter there said one of the main issues today that people wrestle with is the reality of the truth of God. When we do not understand this cosmic battle between God's truth and the lies of the world, the flesh, and the devil, um, we are in deep trouble. We can take the claims of this world and as if they were true. And if we live according to these illusions and lies, 
we can do ourselves a lot of harm, not only in this world, but in the world to come. So what is truth? This world will define truth as um, that which corresponds to reality. That which corresponds to reality. There was, I was watching this. Some of you may have um, heard of Jordan Peterson. I was watching this uh, video on Jordan Peterson. Now, Jordan Peterson's not by any means a religious man, although he has undertones of, of religiosity. Maybe he was raised as a Christian. I don't know. But he certainly has far more common sense than many out, that are out there, the psychologists. And someone on his actual uh, lecture once uh, got up and said, um, when someone challenged him on what some of the things that he wrote in his book, he says, what do you think you are? You are, you are the, the authority on truth. He says, no, well, I don't say I'm the authority, but I believe in credible verisimilitude. That's truth likeness. And if you have evidence and common sense, that will lead you to the truth. But he admitted there's a problem. There is still the truth that you haven't got at. Absolutely. How do you get from credible very similitude to the truth? Where is the bridge? How do you get there? He was frustrated. Didn't seem like a religious man to me because he uttered obscenities. But he asked that question, even as a, an atheist, an agnostic, whatever, he still doesn't know how to get to that absolute truth. Where truth seems to flounder is when you enter into the realm of cause. What is the cause of all truth? Um, there was another man who appeared on uh, a C.S. Lewis Society uh, presentation, and I, I, I sort of I liked the way he reasoned, and he said this. Truth is absolute. It is not created or invented by people. Truth is discovered. So when we come to a realization of truth, it's not because we brought it into existence, but rather that we have just discovered it. And that's true about God. When we learn more and more about God, we discover what is already there, what is reality. And he very plainly stated in two statements the definition of truth, which is similar to what others have said. A statement is true when it says what is, is, or when it says what is not, is not. A false statement is when it says what is, is not, or when it says what is not, is. In other words, does it correspond with reality? So he takes out a pen and he says, this is a pen, correct? He holds it in front of everyone. He says, it's true because it corresponds. Well, I have, I have a support for this reality. I can show it to you. It's not an elephant. If I said this is an elephant, it is not what reality supports. It's, it's a very simple definition. But that, that may be true for the material world. And this is where people get into difficulties when it comes to believing God, because they cannot see God. They cannot say, say show me God. But what do you what he does say is this. There is a definition of the object of thought about truth. There may be opinions that are fear-minded, but opinions are based on probability rather than certainty. Therefore, it is, a subject, it is subject to doubt. Therefore, reasonable people can differ on matters of opinion but the problem is that many people think that their opinions are true. And if you come up, you cannot come up with a probability or a certainty, then it's mere prejudice. It's a bias. Now, how does that reflect on 
How does that reflect on what we understand truth is from the Bible? So if I go back to the scripture on John 18, 36, when Jesus told Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Are you then a king? Jesus answered and said, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end I was born. For this cause came I into this world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. I mean, these were very deep theological words that he's not of this world, but he saw him there. Um, he said, if my kingdom was of this world, I have servants, they would fight for me. But my kingdom is not from here. And then Pilate catches on to the word kingdom, and we had a Bible discussion about this at CFG, and he says, oh, you're from a kingdom. Are you a king? Are you a king? <laughs> Jesus didn't say yes or no. He says, you say that I am a king. For some reason, Pilate came to this, to, to this uh, probability that he was a king. He said, you say that I am a king, but I'm going to tell you some more. For this end was I born, and for this cause I came into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. People that are really looking for truth that are really seeking truth, who are really seeking reasons to believe, they hear my voice. You know, Pilate then becomes a little bit like Felix and Agrippa, doesn't he? They begin to tremble a little bit. They begin to quake a little bit. They begin to get concerned or worried. Pilate says, what is truth? It's almost like that man on the Peterson show where, where he says, I don't understand how to get to the bottom of this. What's the bridge? But he makes a fatal error. Pilate makes a fatal error. After asking the question, he doesn't stay behind to hear the answer from the creator of truth, from the creator of the universe, from the creator of his very puny Fickle mind. It says, and when he said this, he went out. Pilate, why didn't you stay behind? Maybe you could learn something more. And it's a lesson to us when we have reasons to believe, when there is that ring of truth in what the Bible says, even if you are not a believer, that you don't follow that truth, that you don't follow that light that lights every man that comes into the world, as John 1 9 says. Jesus says in Matthew 7, Seek and ye shall find, knock and it shall be opened, ask and it shall be given. What shall be given? What shall you find? What shall be opened? The truth of God to you. The truth of God. There's um, another meaning that somebody gave to truth. He was a theology professor. When asked what is truth, and he says, truth cannot be taken in isolation. Truth is a relationship between reality and a thought, between reality and a belief, between reality and an assertion. He also says that truth is, where, a, 
Uh, the way we take things as they are, it's like the Greek uh, uh, view of truth, an accurate representation of reality. Why? Because things are, reality is the way I take it to be. Now, people can take reality differently. They can take things, view things differently, but that doesn't change the reality. It changes the way you perceive it. Jesus says, if you follow me, if you seek me, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And that's what he told the Jews in John chapter 8. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And then he said to them, but you know what? You're going to die in, the sin, in your sins. You will die in your sins because you don't believe me. You'll seek me and you'll look for me everywhere, but you will not find me because there's going to be a time it's going to be too late for them. And you'll die in your sins because you did not seek the truth. So something is only true to you when you relate it to a statement. For example, if you say, um, I'm thinking of the term 2 plus 2 equals 4. And if 2 plus 2 is equal to 5, in your mind, it's not true. If we all, we've dis discussed that already uh, earlier, how the, 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 the Romans sought truth as something that equated to representation of the truth of events. Now, it's a relationship, and the way we... The way the early church and the way any God-fearing person and seeker can believe that what God's word is saying is true is by equating it and relating it to events or to reality as it occurred. You remember what a definition of a false prophet was? That God said, who is the false prophet? He said, if any prophet prophesies and it does not come to pass, then he's a false prophet and he must be killed. The truth to God is so essential, is so vital. It's part of his holiness. It's a part of his character. He is truth. Uh, if you go to Deuteronomy, I think, 32, he is truth. Jeremiah 10.10, 10. the Lord is truth. Jesus Christ said, I am the truth, the way, the life. The Holy Spirit is a spirit of truth. And if we go against and violate that nature or try to attempt to violate the nature of God of being truth, then we are actually transgressing. We are, we are going against God. Doesn't that make sense to you that in, in the simple things of life, if somebody is, is irresponsibly wasting money, squandering money on things that don't mean anything, that, that has gone to waste when it could have been used for better purposes, don't we cringe at that? Or when we waste food for those that have... Uh, leave food on their plate when, when the parent who suffered in prison and under starvation and sees that happening cringes that a child would just leave food on the plate or throw it into the garbage, even worse. Now, how does God react when we go against what is true and right and good? So when we look at the false prophet, and we look at the word of God, how many prophecies of Christ in the Old Testament have actually come to pass? I mean, if we want to look at evidence that supports reality, you just cannot do, you just cannot do away with that and say, well, it's just a flash in a pan. 
well, who can prove it? But when you look at you look at the evidence, there's a big difference between what we heard about uh, in the Jordan, uh, Jordan Peterson uh, uh, lecture about the probability of something happened that you cannot bring material evidence for. Then, if as long as there is ample evidence that is reasonable, that is, we can talk about it. Do we even talk about it? And we see it is estimated between 200 to 400 prophecies in the Old Testament have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now, you can go through the Bible yourself. You can look through it. You can find some very strong evidences. Uh, Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, um, Isaiah 49, the suffering servant. You can find a lot of very strong evidences, right? There are other evidences that make is not as that, that are and it's prominent, but they're true. They may be small details. That makes it even more reasonable for faith. But there is about 200 to 400 prophecies, depending upon who interpreted which scripture in which way. But I think they'll probably agree on a vast majority of those of Christ. So Jesus Christ is coming to Pilate, and he says, I am come to bear evidence of the truth. I am come to fulfill what the Old Testament was saying about me all along. In in the book of uh, Luke, was it Luke chapter 4, if I'm not mistaken? Jesus is in the, is in the <clears throat> synagogue in Capernaum, or Nazareth, was it Nazareth? And in there he, he quotes from Isaiah 61. Let me just find that open. Isaiah chapter 61, I think it's verse 1, if I could remember correctly. Maybe you can find that too, brother Edmund. Um, I mean, Eric. So he's in Capernaum. But in Isaiah 61, 1, he says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim the liberty to the captives, and to open the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That they might be called trees of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that he might be glorified. And he says to the people in the temple, to the Jews in the temple, this day, this prophecy is fulfilled in your ears. Guess what they wanted to do with him? They wanted to kill him. They started pursuing him, and he and he took off out of their midst. He wasn't chicken. He wasn't afraid. But his time had not yet come. There are many, many prophecies of the Lord that were fulfilled in their ears and in their eyes as they saw him. And those that were of the truth, as he says, those that could see this is believable. This is the closest thing that ever happened according to the scriptures. And it's come, and they were yearning for the time that Messiah would come. We look in 1 Corinthians 15. Again, this is on the heels of the resurrection Sunday we had last week. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that he was seen of, of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom greater part remain unto this present, 
but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James in all of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. Now, is this evidence? This is tangible evidence. This is eyewitness evidence. We read the history books on Rome and Caesar and, and, and Alexander and, and Hannibal and, and you name it. And we believe it because it was written down at the time and it was, it was uh, transmitted through the generations, through the uh, centuries to us. And we say, yep, that's truth. We can believe that. But when we have something this detailed, that Paul goes to the, 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 the minutest detail by saying, but some are fallen asleep. Some have died of these witnesses. Is this not something that makes the gospel highly probable in the eyes of this world? When you have these records of events handed down through 2,000 years and before that another, another 2,000 years. We've got a lot of accounting to do. We've got a lot of responsibility. As the Jews were told by Paul uh, in, in the book of Romans, that what benefit does then the Jew have over the Gentile? What advantage does he have over the Gentile? Right after chapter 2, where God says God's going to judge the world. He's going to judge the world uh, with righteousness and with his truth. And that the whole world may become guilty before God. He says, what advantage does Jew have over the Gentile? He says, chiefly to them that the word of God was given and delivered. The oracles of God, the word of God was given to the Jew. That makes you more responsible. That makes you more accountable. As, as a balance, I decided to, to follow along with this uh, whole idea of truth in thought. When you don't have material evidence, there's thoughts, you know, is, is euthanasia right? Is this right? We have the word of God. That's where we get our source from. But. People get their source from their own minds. I don't want to go through that pain. Therefore, it's easier for me to, to allow this person to take his own life or this baby to be aborted because that's, that's where their source comes from. They think of the pain, the suffering, or the convenience for many. Just go on Google on, on uh, uh, what is it, uh, Weldometers, Weldometers.com. Look at all the statistics. I mentioned this before. How many children are dying every second almost, or every minute? Every minute. What the Bible calls murder. But I decided to give this a balance, and I, I went into the whole idea of evidence that we as humans came from somewhere else apart from what God had um, done, what we believe. In his creation, that God created us, that God made us. You can do this for yourself. Look on the Internet. But there are some people that believe, just like uh, um, Darwin did in his day. Darwin said, we came through a, a whole lot of multitude of millions of small mutations as molecules mutated very, ever, very so slightly. And finally, it came out that man evolved. <clears throat> well, you know what? Credit to even the atheistic uh, um, scientists and, and biologists today. Credit to them that they see through that. They don't even believe Darwin anymore. You know why? Because evidence shows that it didn't happen that way. There was what was called the Cambrian Explosion. Well, I don't know how many hundred in their view, hundred million years ago, where there wasn't this slow, slow mutation that you could hardly tell. As a matter of fact, in one strata of rock, 
there was a huge amount of different types and sizes of organisms that they said, this doesn't make sense. This, this doesn't jive with Darwin's theory. And that's what man does. Man is looking for every reason not to believe, but relying on evidence so that at least they can maybe feel better about themselves. <clears throat> I don't know. Some of them are maybe sincere seekers, and this is what they opposed with at the time. But, but it's been shown already that Darwin's theory is blown out the window. There are those that <clears throat> still believe that this um, natural evolution comes along and it happens over 10 billion years because given time and chance, it's going to happen. Well, <clears throat> there, are, there are Christian scientists as well. There are Christian physicists and biologists as well. And I'm just going to give you a very quick <clears throat> um, synopsis of a calculation that some of these have done. They imagine um, a uh, some kind of an organism that has 200 uh, functioning parts, okay? 200, like we have in our bodies, we have a heart, we've got a liver, we've got a kidney, we've got two lungs, we've got actually two kidneys, and, and they all have a function, they have, all have a purpose. But even inside of them, there are different cells and, and structures that have different functions. But let's say that this organism needs to change into something better, into something more productive, into something of higher intelligence. What will it take over 10 billion years? So he did a calculation. <clears throat> he included the 10 billion years, which is something like 10 to the 18th uh, seconds. If you know 10 to the power of 2 is 100, 10 to the power of 3 is 1,000, 10 to the power of 6 is a million, then 10 to the 18 is how many million and trillion, right? And he did the... Um, calculation, first of all, without the 10 billion years, it came to a probability of 10 to the 60. One chance in 10 to the power of 60 can an, can a, an organism like this develop to some higher level of life. You say, well, no, no, give it 10 billion years because that's what the age of the earth is in their view. So he did. Guess what? Did the calculations. And he ended up with 10, 10 billion years, 10 to the 21. One over 10 to the 21 chance that this organism is going to survive, which already has 200 functions. Now, my dear friend, I mean, you're not going to be convinced maybe by my five-minute rendition here of, of this calculation. But <clears throat> the conclusion that, that, that they came to, therefore we can derive from such considerations as this, except that evolution by mutation and natural selection is mathematically and logically indefensible. Now, that has a reason for me to start thinking, not just to blindly follow Darwin, and he was proven wrong, and not to follow Dawkins and company, because even the, 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 the most prestigious and prominent biologists of them came many believers that there is some creator, God, or intelligent design. What I'm saying is you can't even use this whole concept of what appears to be because I don't believe in miracles. I don't believe in this miraculous event that God somehow out of a word of his mouth could create everything. I don't believe that Jesus Christ could, by speaking to a man, heal him from his leprosy or from his uh, uh, paralysis or to put mud on his eyes and to give him a sight who was blind from birth. Because truth is so important to us. Truth 
if we don't believe the truth in any aspect of life, we could end up severely harming ourselves. We could end up severely missing out, especially on things like eternal life, on being with God, severely um, miss the opportunity to propagate that truth to others so that they could be saved, so that they could be ransomed, so that they could live a wholesome, fulfilling life to God and for his glory. Apart from this theory of correspondence, that things that correspond to reality, there is a truth aspect that is called coherence. You can listen to Rabbi Zacharias and and others. It's not that just individual statements are true. But when you put all of these individual statements together, are they coherent? Do they make sense? Do they have meaning? I remember debating somebody about the scriptures who talks about whatever it was, eternal punishment or whatever, <clears throat> and another brother looked at the arguments of, of, of the other brother that, or the other person that was uh, putting ex- uh, arguments against mine, and he says, true, true, but irrelevant. True, true, but irrelevant. So when you put them together, are they relevant? Do they have meaning? Is there purpose? I'm going to finish off with the example, and it it really struck me and moved me. As I learned about a man by the name of Nathan or Nathan Sharansky, he was in a Soviet prison cell in the 80s. 70s and 80s, I think, because he was a Zionist. He he wanted the Jews to return back to Israel. And he was demanding that the Russians let them go and da-da-da. And he got thrown into prison for many years. Finally, he was released after um, the uh, emancipation, if you will, by Gorbachev. The Berlin Wall was knocked down. And uh, after many He went back to Israel, became a politician, maybe justice minister, and he went back to the prison with his wife. He wanted to show his wife where he was. And as she was going to go into the prison, he put his hand out and says, please stay here for a while. I want to go inside to relive the solitude that I had when I was there for so many years because there I had time to think. There I had time to contemplate on what life is all about. There I had time to to do all kinds of things, but I want to be there now to relive that. And he did. And the reporters were waiting for him outside, waiting to to interview him. And when he came out, he says, let me go back. Before I even ask any more questions to, to the reporters, let me go to the tomb, to the grave of Andrei Sakharov. I want to place a wreath there. Andrei Sakharov was the brilliant Russian uh, physicist that actually invented the hydrogen bomb. That was umpteen times more powerful than the one that dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And when Sakharov realized the potency of this bomb. He tried to get um, Brezhnev first and then Khrushchev to to avoid it, but they ordered him to continue on, and, and he, he invented it. He made it. But before he died, he said, there is something far more powerful Than the atomic bomb. And it is truth. 
Now go look for it, whoever you want. Go look for it on the internet. Go seek for that quote. I'm quoting somebody else. But I believe it because to his death, Sakharov was championing democracy and freedom of speech and freedom from this path of self-destruction of this world. And the truth is so powerful. The first thing, the first victim or casualty in any war is truth. You say, oh, it's powerful, but it dies. No, people twist it. They turn it into a lie to deceive the masses. That's why it's powerful. The misuse of truth, the perversion of truth, the corruption of truth is so powerful. It's a weapon of mass destruction. We've seen it during Hitler's reign. We've seen it during Stalin's reign. And the many despots of this world, a corruption of truth is destructive. And Jesus said, the truth is so powerful, it can make you free. It can free you from your fears, from your inhibitions. It can free you from sin. It can free you from the mastery of this world and free you to do the things that you know are wholesome and good and true. May the Lord bless this word to him be the glory evermore. Amen. Let's all turn to uh, hymn number 18 and heft. I don't know which one. That is, let me see, 271, three verses. <clears throat> 